Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. In addition to almost every other aspect of life, COVID-19 has had an impact on migration. Dr. Andre Korobkov, a professor of political science and international relations, is the co-author of a report that chronicles the ways the pandemic has affected the transition of people from their homelands to other lands. Korobkov and his colleague, Dr. Dmitry Politeev of the Russian Academy of Sciences, made several interesting discoveries, and we'll explore them after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU is creating a new center in its College of Education to focus on recruiting and retaining diverse teacher candidates, graduate students, and faculty. The announcement was part of a broader discussion at the quarterly MTSU Board of Trustees meeting held on December 8th on the need to better serve and encourage students from underserved communities, particularly black males. Professor Michelle Stevens, introduced as director of the new Fairness, Justice, and Equity Center in the College of Education, said the center will offer educational opportunities, support, and advocacy for community partners. It will also partner with Memphis-based Man Up Teacher Fellowship, a nonprofit working to provide students in high-poverty areas access to male teachers. And a member of the MTSU Board of Trustees has given students a big boost without casting a single vote. Tom Boyd's generous donation of 2,000 pounds of crackers, granola bars, and peanut butter to the student food pantry helped replenish depleted inventories. In addition to being a trustee, Boyd is on the board of Joseph's Storehouse, a nonprofit, ministry driven food bank that serves Wilson and surrounding counties in Tennessee. Through Boyd, the pantry now has a partnership with a Lebanon, Tennessee based charity. The Student Food Pantry is located on the second floor of the MT1 stop on campus. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Andre, thanks for joining us. Uh, Hello, Gina. Thank you. Uh, You break down the destination countries for migrants into four groups, traditional destinations, former imperial colonies, countries that have had economic booms, and Brazil, Russia, China, India, South Africa, and a motley group of nations make up the fourth group. Tell us something about each one of these four groups. Well, first of all, let's uh, remember that the United States really is a giant uh, compared even to the largest other immigration countries. We have about 45 million people uh, who are technically immigrants. That means they were not born in the United States. It is about 13.7% of the U.S. population, and this is the second largest uh, uh, figure in uh, more than a century. It was high in the 1910s, uh, reaching 14.5%, and we know that uh, uh, this record was followed by uh, a very restrictive immigration policy Uh, that followed in the uh, footsteps of, uh, first of all, Great Depression and lasted for a number of decades. And it's not surprising that right now immigration has become a highly controversial and highly politicized issue. Well, uh, way below the United States uh, are three other major receiving uh, countries. These are Germany, Saudi Arabia, and Russia. And uh, Saudi Arabia is gaining 
uh, here, well, space and uh, it surpassed Russia as the third most important immigration country. And it tells us something interesting about the immigration processes right now. Two thirds of uh, the overall number of migrants worldwide are uh, coming to the highly developed countries. But one third uh, is coming to uh, the developing countries, to the global South countries, including the Gulf states, for example. Uh, well, uh, what can we say? Uh, you mentioned four groups that uh, we're writing about. The first group are countries of traditional immigration. These are the United States, uh, other Anglo-Saxon countries like well, Britain, uh, like I'm sorry, former British colonies, uh, Australia, uh, uh, Canada, uh, to some extent, uh, South Africa, even though it plays a very uh, complex uh, role in this process. Uh, so those that were originally uh, Anglo-Saxon colonies. Uh, and uh, this group also includes Israel, uh, that is very different, but also is a country of traditional immigration, it became such in the last 70 years. The second group uh, is comprised by uh, countries that were originally uh, the imperial metropoles. So they first acquired colonies, then at some point colonial empires started to uh, collapse. And this was followed by two stages of immigration. First, people representing the master race of uh, uh, the empire were uh, returning, they were returning permanently. So the French to France, the Brits to Britain, uh, the Turks to Turkey, uh, Russians to Russia. Uh, and then this was followed by a large scale temporary labor migration already of the natives of uh, former colonies, now newly independent states. So for example, from French Africa to France, from the Caribbean to uh, Britain, uh, countries like Jamaica uh, and so on. Uh, the third group is uh, comprised of countries that go through uh, uh, very quick economic growth and they lack labor resources. For example, the Gulf countries. Uh, but these can be uh, countries that we don't think usually as uh, the countries of immigration. Nigeria, for example. When, uh, lots of uh, uh, workers uh, to mend their uh, oil industry, for example and not necessarily say oil giants. This could be also countries developing a tourist industry like some countries in the Caribbean and so on. And the fourth group uh, is comprised of those states that have drastically changed their role in migration chain in recent years. Say Russia was a, a well isolated country that did not have much exchange with the outside world. After the Soviet collapse, it became one of the major migrant receiving states. And there are other examples like that, uh, both uh, in Europe and in other parts of the world. And each of those uh, uh, groups of countries has reacted very differently to the pandemic. But one thing we can say uh, in general, there was an expectation that uh, uh, the pandemic would lead to a tremendous decline in the number of international migrants. Uh, it, uh, well, to some extent was confirmed and to some extent it was not. Uh, there was an expectation that the number of uh, international migrants would decline worldwide from 283 million 
to uh, a significantly smaller number. The real decline was about 2 million. So it was not really significant. Even though for some major migrant receiving countries, this decline was huge. For example, if we talk about the United States, uh, last year, the number of uh, uh, permits for permanent immigration to uh, the US has declined by 45%. The number of temporary visas has been cut by 54%. And even those who received visas in many cases were not able to come for, uh, well, sometimes purely technical reasons. So uh, well, while the overall number, the overall decline was smaller than it was expected, it has significantly affected some of the countries. It includes the United States. Uh, it includes uh, Australia, Canada. Uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia, the number of the incoming migrants has declined tenfold. Australia, uh, essentially, uh, for the first time since 1945, has seen the decline in uh, uh, the number of uh, migrants and uh, uh, essentially has encountered for the first time in a century the stagnation of its population. Uh, the same happened in Germany, that before that for 10 years was receiving very large numbers of migrants. So countries were affected in different ways uh, in terms of immigration. And the reasons for that are uh, that uh, um, even though the uh, migrant flows has uh, declined significantly, uh, many migrants uh, who uh, usually were going home, for example, for uh, the weekend, for summer, uh, who were losing their status, preferred to stay in the host countries. They decided not to go home because they were afraid that they would not be able to return uh, and for many other reasons. We'll take a break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. As our conversation on migration continues, Dr. Andrei Korobkov turns his attention to the pandemic's impact on the money that migrants send home or can't send home. All this has influenced also another very important parameter of immigration, migrant uh, remittances. Uh, well, at the peak of this process in uh, 2019, uh, the amount of remittances sent by uh, migrants to their home countries was $548 billion. And for a number of countries, say some in Central uh, America, first of all, El Salvador, 
some in the Pacific, for example, Tonga, Fiji, uh, countries like uh, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan. The uh, migrant remittances are the largest item uh, in terms of uh, their GDP. They comprise up to half of uh, those countries' uh, gross domestic product. And uh, uh, if this uh, amount of remittances declines, it represents a tremendous uh, well, uh, hit for those countries. Uh, and there was the general expectation that uh, migrant remittances in two years, so 2020, 2021, uh, could be cut by 14.5%. This did not happen either. The overall decline is, was just 1.6%. Why? Because as I said, many migrants did not leave even uh, when they were losing their status. They continued to work even for a lower pay. Uh, they cut their consumption in order to support their families. And in some cases, uh, the favorable impact for them had the fluct fluctuations of the national currencies, uh, whereas, uh, um, well, currencies of their uh, host countries were uh, rated still higher than those of their home countries, and they could de facto send more money, not less. Uh, and that's what happened, for example, in the Caribbean and Latin America. The amount of uh, uh, migrant remittances coming, of course, first of all, from the US has increased, not decreased during the pandemic. And it was a very interesting and totally unexpected phenomenon. The uh, policy of the Trump administration on the southern border has been a, a point of great friction uh, and uh, increase in xenophobia. Uh, is it this increase in xenophobia as much of a trend in other nations as it is in the United States? Well, such phenomena were visible in a number of countries, including Germany, including a number of European countries, uh, in governmental policies, not only in public uh, opinion of, say, the Gulf countries. But nowhere uh, migration issues became as, uh, well, uh, sharp, controversial, dividing as in the United States. And the uh, issue here is uh, um, that uh, Donald Trump really was able, uh, for the first time ever, by the way, to put immigration issues at the very center of his electoral campaign. Uh, and uh, he received support of his, uh, well, part of the electorate on these issues. Uh, one of the reasons was that he was able to link immigration to the changing uh, as, uh, ethnic and racial composition of the U.S. population. And in many cases, speaking uh, about migration, he was addressing other issues that uh, even Trump didn't uh, dare to raise. We know that, uh, uh, well, uh, American population is uh, changing very quickly. Uh, the share of uh, whites is already below 60%. And uh, uh, in 2045, in just 24 years, uh, whites will lose their absolute majority in the population. There will be the plurality, but then there will be less than 50% of them. Uh, the share of Hispanics will reach 25%, while well, it is 18% now. 
And uh, if we look back, the way just 500,000 Hispanics living in the United States in the year 1900. So it is a phenomenal growth uh, that, uh, well, is the core uh, uh, well, change that we see in terms of ethnic and racial composition of the population. The share of uh, Asian Americans will um, come close to 10%. And uh, all this, uh, well, creates apprehensions on the part of uh, the, um, well, declining majority that Trump has uh, played skillfully during his uh, 2016 campaign. We know that he was not able to do the same in 2020. The issues of the pandemic, healthcare reform, uh, economic growth came to the uh, forefront. And here uh, lies a, a paradox. Uh, we know that uh, Biden, when he uh, came to the White House, he promised to fulfill some of the most important uh, well, uh, uh, demands of the left of his party. Uh, well, in this regard, he promised to uh, stop the construction of the wall. He promised to cancel a number of uh, Trump's initiatives. And he promised to uh, legalize the 11 million undocumented migrants uh, who are located in the US. Uh, territory. And we know that uh, uh, it has led to a number of crises. In uh, May, uh, well, 180,000 people have crossed a Mexican uh, border without documents. Of them, 112 were deported. Uh, but uh, uh, it, uh, it became a sensation. And we, we know that it has influenced public opinion again. So, uh, well, to some extent, we have seen the movement from one extremity, extremely, uh, well, prohibitive policies of Trump to another extremity, at least uh, in, uh, in word, maybe not indeed. And it creates a danger that the immigration issues will come to the forefront again next year. And it will uh, not be good for the political atmosphere in a country or for the position of migrants. So it, it's a pretty dangerous uh, issue in this sense. We also know that Biden, while he promised a lot to the left of his uh, party, in reality uh, started to drag his feet on a number of these initiatives. He didn't uh, eliminate Title 42 program uh, he, uh, that Trump has initiated. He, um, well, slowed down the fulfillment of a number of uh, other initiatives, uh, but uh, the damage uh, in terms of uh, image was done. And it is quite, quite possible that uh, immigration topics, as I already mentioned, will come back during the campaign next year. Do you gather that he just sort of threw the immigration policy to Vice President Harris in order to get one more thing off his plate and concentrate on other issues? Yes, it's quite possible. And Biden, as an experienced politician, uh, knew very well that it's a, a touchy issue and it's better not to be too closely affiliated with it. But it doesn't go away. We know that. Uh, still, we uh, also have to uh, well keep in mind that the pandemic 
had, uh, has had a twofold impact on the immigration uh, as a political issue. On the one hand, yes, it, it has created tensions. It has, uh, uh, well, um, given a boost to xenophobia, uh, to prejudices. On the other hand, it has very clearly shown the importance of migrants for, uh, well, labor market, for the economy, for private business. Uh, and therefore, it has uh, emphasized the value of uh, immigrants. We'll take another break. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun, hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Our discussion of migration with Dr. Andrei Korobkov now focuses on the worldwide labor market and what effect the pandemic has had on it. Well, we can talk about specific groups of migrants and we can talk about immigration in general. Uh, here's one example. In the United States at present, 16.4% of healthcare workers are immigrants, uh, 2.8 million. Uh, of them, 28.2%, uh, more than a quarter of physicians are immigrants, 15.3% of nurses. In Britain, 35% of physicians are immigrants. Uh, 22% of nurses are immigrants. And we see uh, that currently a number of major receiving countries, Canada, Australia, a number of others, they uh, are liberalizing their immigration legislation specifically to lure in uh, well, uh, personnel, medical personnel of different levels of skill not only physicians, but nurses, well, and lower qualified personnel. And even Japan, a very closed country, uh, has started to liberalize its immigration legislation, specifically targeting medical personnel. But, well, this is uh, one part of the story. We know another one. We, we know that we have encountered an absolutely paradoxical situation in terms of employment. Uh, before the pandemic, right on, on its verge, we had a very low unemployment ratio, 3.5%, just 5.7 million. Then unemployment has, uh, well, jumped to 14.8% in April. And uh, even though economic recovery started much faster than it was expected, we still have a significant uh, unemployment now. And nevertheless, uh, well, we, uh, we have uh, millions of uh, uh, workplaces that are not filled. We uh, have uh, problems with uh, labor discipline in many cases. Uh, we have uh, issues with uh, pay. 
and uh, uh, private business got got a signal. Uh, it is now interested in uh, uh, liberalizing many um, well immigration pieces of immigration legislation. It creates pressure uh, on uh, government and Congress, and we'll see how will it work out. We know that there were different reasons for uh, this uh, paradox of relatively high unemployment and uh, well, lots of uh, workplaces that were not filled. On the one hand, it's the uh, policy of comp comp compensatory pack packages when uh, people were paid uh, well um, to stay home. But we also see that the pandemic has led to a very significant restructuring of the labor market. And uh, uh, well, uh, under the new conditions, uh, say the proliferation of uh, online work, the proliferation of uh, direct delivery from stores, uh, new uh, areas of employment are opening and that require significant adjustments. And uh, it will uh, influence not only labor market in general, it will influence the immigrant labor market as well. The name of the report is International Migration in Pandemic Times, Disrupted Links, Remittances, and Migrantophobia. And our guest is the co-author, Dr. Andrei Korobkov, a professor of political science and international relations on sabbatical this semester, speaking to us from the Wilson Center in Washington, D.C. In our second program on migration, Dr. Andrei Korobkov will explain the pandemic's effect on Russian immigration policies and migration among the other former Soviet republics, as well as other countries. We'll be right back. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. Terra wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to Terra, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. MTSU Data Science partnered with Amazon Web Services recently to host a deep racer contest featuring machine learning technology. The competition featured five teams of college and high school students testing their programming skills with autonomously driven model cars inside the Science Building atrium. MTSU Data Science Institute Director Ryan Otter explains the event's purpose. What we care about the most and why we're really excited about this program with AWS is that you don't need to be a computer programmer for 10 years to do this. What I have found is we have traditionally taught people that go do computer science for 10 years, and if you do that, you can do really cool stuff. I think this is opposite of what we should be doing. We should be showing people, here's what you can do that's really awesome, and give you access to be able to do that 
in a short window. And if you like that, and if that's super cool, and you love it, and it's awesome, and it really fires you up, then you wanna go learn how to code better so you can make that better. You need to see the end at the beginning for inspiration that's and caring. Rather than learn how to code a computer, and I promise you awesome stuff will come later, we need to lower this barrier of entry. Right, because it's basically, if not, it makes it an exclusive club. We don't want this. We want more people having access. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.